Welcome everyone <clears throat> to another wonderful, beautiful Sunday at Awan. Um, I spent most of my 20 minutes of zazen <coughs> staring lovingly at you all. <laughs> um, and just really appreciating being home. And you know how it feels to put your head on your own pillow. <laughs> being in your own bed, um, it feels really good. And I, in my bowing this morning, um, I realized that it was really good to put my head down on that pillow. <laughs> um, it felt like home, uh, um, being back in the zendo and having my pillow in the residence and having my, my spiritual pillow here, just kind of putting my head down on that bowing mat uh, felt, felt like home. So it's wonderful to be back and to be, to be with you and to share the Dharma uh, with you once again. Now that I'm back from California, uh, and had a, along with Daigen, who accompanied me, well, we have lots of things to share, right? And a little bit of California <laughs> is still with us, so welcome, Amy, nice to see you. Um, <clears throat> now that I'm back, uh, one of my questions to myself was, what was I doing? Uh, what, was, what was that about? Why... Why did I go to California? Why was I um, leaving a sashin there? And having listened to uh, the two talks that Taishin gave in my absence on anger and patience, uh, very fine talks, by the way, uh, led me to consider that I, there was a certain level of irritability uh, at Jokoji, um, and I realized that one, one of the sources of anger and irritation is a failure to be recognized. If we don't feel seen and appreciated for who we are and what we do, irritation, you know, comes up. And I believe that one of the reasons I went to Jokoji to lead the Sashin, to be quite honest with myself, is that I had a bit of a thirst for fame. It's um, wonderful to be here in central Pennsylvania, uh, with our little modest uh, zendo, but California, yeah, Chikoji, um, important. So to enhance my reputation as a Dharma teacher, sure, I'm going to lead Sashin there. And so being honest with myself, one of the reasons, not just the only reason, but the need to be recognized. 
That is, I want to be not only a Dharma teacher here at Oan Zendo, but I want to be known. I, you know, it's, it's often the case that when you, when you want to be known and recognized, particularly as a teacher, you go around and you make a name for yourself, right? There was some of that, for sure, in my inclination to lead the Sashin at Jokoji. However, when I arrived there, and I think Daigen can back me up on this, it was pretty chaotic. They really didn't have, they didn't make the proper preparations for, for us. For me, in particular, my bed wasn't even made. They were very, very low on staff. They, they have lost, they had four guiding teachers, they have lost three of them, and one of them hardly ever uh, participates. So they were in need of teachers. They didn't even have a Tenzo at the time. They had to recruit uh, a cook. So they were really very low on staff and preparations. And I realized that I wasn't totally invited there because I was a really good Dharma teacher. I guess there's a, there's a term in baseball, a pinch hitter. <laughs> you know, not, not, of the, not part of the regular lineup, <laughs> but um, someone who comes in to pinch hit. And I have the sense that I, I was not known necessarily as a really good Dharma teacher, but a really good pinch hitter. <laughs> when, when someone needed to be called upon to, um, to do something that needed to be done that someone else wasn't doing, that, that was left undone, yeah, just call Mado. Uh, she'll she'll do it. So that was a bit of a um, a good lesson in humiliation. <laughs> not, not exactly humiliation, but humility. Um, I I don't think that was the whole story, but but there was a, a good bit of that there. So one of the one of the the aspects of our practice that for the past couple of days I've been considering is this, what I'm calling need or thirst for recognition. It's, it's considered uh, one of the four worldly winds, which is often neglected. Uh, the, the, the four worldly winds, which we're kind of pushed around by, uh, our pleasure and pain. We want, we want to feel good, and we want to avoid not feeling good, any kind of painful situation. So we're pushed around by that. We're drawn to pleasurable experiences and uh, avoid averse to pain. And then there's win and lose. And of course, th- this talk is going to sound a little familiar to you. <laughs> um, this is the last sort of the last talk I gave at Jokoji to share with you. Um, 
And of course, being in a football town, <laughs> win or lose, you know, we're about, we're number one. Uh, it, we, we like to feel like we're on top of things and not like we have lost, that we have, we're vulnerable. And then praise and blame. We want to do things that encourage people to, to say what wonderful people we are. And also, we want to avoid blame. And then the last couplet is fame and disgrace. I'm kind of modifying the word fame because I think most of us are not inclined to want to be famous in an internet, you know, win the Nobel Prize. Uh, that's not kind of what most of us are seeking, or to be internationally known, or be a star like Taylor Swift, or, <laughs> or you know, somebody, even Mother Teresa. Uh, we're, not, we're not after that level of, of recognition, but most of us want to be well thought of, right? We want to have a good reputation. So here is the word fame can be translated into, I, I want to have a good reputation. I want to be well thought of. I want to be known as a good person. I want to be known as kind, as compassionate, as bright, as intelligent, as, as um, wise, uh, as a congenial, as someone people would just love to be around, uh, who enjoys, who, who would enjoys my company. So we want to be known that way, I'm assuming. Uh, I guess some people take joy in being disgraced, like, we can think of some people who, even bad publicity is good. Uh, some people enjoy that sense of, but even that is a form of recognition. Even if you're known as a, as a bad person or as an outlaw or as a renegade, still you want to be recognized in that way. <clears throat> so... This need for recognition, what others think about me, is not something we were born with. And I, wanted, I want to give a couple of examples. It's sort of a short history of the need for personal recognition. When you're a little baby, an infant, and you see this in your own experience with little, little infants, there's a game called peekaboo. Yes? Mm -hmm. You go, peekaboo, I see you. Right? And when a baby experiences that, that peekaboo, I see you, there's a kind of immediate recognition. The self kind of pops up, but then it kind of 
dissolves, it kind of explodes with laughter, right? So you go peekaboo, I see you, and then the baby just <laughs> laughs. And that's a moment when in, in, our, in Buddhist practice we call that co-arising, that you and the baby co you bring each other into being with that I see you, I see you. And, and immediately that explodes into laughter, which is, it's a way of dissolving the self into that immediacy of contact. <clears throat> but then we have another game that we progress to, and that's the game of hide-and-seek. Have you played that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the favorite games in my neighborhood, is hide-and-seek. So what do you do? The kid, somebody is it. And it also, <laughs> close your eyes, and counts to 100, and all the other kids go and hide. So immediately we have a separation of self. You're hiding. You're hiding. And then instead of peekaboo, I see you, Someone has to find you from a hiding, hiding position. It's not just, I'm here, hello, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Laughter and connection. It's now I'm, a, now I'm a separate self. I'm hiding. This is not hiding. This is very temporary hiding, just in order to appear. But hide and seek is you can't find me. I'm hiding, uh, I'm not going to be available to you. And so the self gets separated. We teach kids this. We we teach. This is a fun game, but it's also teaching kids to be separate and to have to be discovered. So what happens? The it person, that's also strange, (laughs) right? The person who's it, <laughs> the person who has, has to find the separate self, um, hunts around and tries to find the hidden people. And the first child that is found becomes it. <laughs> that they've, so it's not this joyful thing. Yeah, hi, you know, we're connected. No, I'm becoming an it now. So, so now that's a kind of punishment for being found. Some, that, I suspect, has some connection. This may be a little bit far-fetched, but I invite you to consider it. The evolution of Facebook and the capacity to hide. To hide. This is something we learn very early, that the separate self is fundamentally hidden and doesn't want to be found, despite the fact that we have this drive for recognition. But we want to be recognized in a certain way. We, we, we don't want to be seen as the baby is seen, that is completely vulnerable and completely open. <clears throat> we rather want to be seen in 
the costumes that we hide in, that we hide behind. Then we graduate to school. And the example that I gave in California was when I was in the third grade, uh, one of our assignments was to create an animal puzzle. So we drew an animal and then we made lines and we cut that up and then put it together again. And I did this elephant puzzle and the teacher loved it. Gave, you know, we give gold stars, right, or whatever, what they do now. I know when I was a kid, it was a gold star, right? There's some way of recognizing that you're special. You're special. So my elephant puzzle just completely floored my teacher. She thought it was incredibly wonderful. And she sent me around to all the other classes to show my puzzle. And from that point on, I was an artist. <laughs> I was special, you know. She uh, gave me that, she gave me that title. Um, she didn't know it, but she was saying, okay, you, now you have a recognition. Just as, for example, I remember with my own daughter, um, when she was young, she would just like play in the sandbox and just completely one with her environment. And then after going to school, she would, we would go to the playground and she'd swing on the swing. And then she'd say, Mom, look how high I can swing. <laughs> now look at me. <laughs> look what I can do. I, 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 me, me, me. So as we grow, grow, wondering if growing is the same thing as maturing, um, we become more and more separate. And we create boundaries. I'm the teacher. You're the disciple. I'm the husband. You're the wife. I'm the vegan, you're the carnivore. <laughs> I'm the poet, <laughs> you know, you're the prosaic one. I'm the boss, you're the servant. Like, whatever role we develop, and I often call these post-its that we, we plaster all over ourselves, all these roles that we have, they're really just little nothings that we've constructed and they just kind of flap around on us but I want to be seen as a Dharma teacher you know I'm in my role I want to be recognized I want to go to California <laughs> and I want them to know that I'm a I'm a really good Dharma Dharma teacher not a pinch hitter <laughs> a good Dharma teacher so we we expect to be recognized and we objectify others. The other recognizes me. And I also objectify myself because I make myself into this 
this teacher in this case. <clears throat> Treat me according to the rules. If I'm a wife, I'm a husband, there's a set of rules that mean I need to be recognized this way. I need to be appreciated. I need to be praised. If not praised, at least, yes, I see you in your role and I acknowledge it and I respect it. This is a form of fame. We want to be famous in our own little world. You know, we, want, we want that recognition. And we, are, we get angry or irritated when we're not recognized. I know I do. One of my past partners had this habit of getting up in the morning and going to an easy chair and, and picking up the New York Times and just sitting there for an hour or so reading the Times and totally ignoring me. There was a comic strip, I don't know whether you know it, it's called Dagwood and Blondie. <laughs> and Dagwood was always reading the newspaper at the kitchen table. It's just hiding behind the newspaper. Well, one of, one of my partners had this habit of getting up, just not, I'm not there. <laughs> but the New York Times was the dominant activity for the morning. And one, one morning I decided I'm going to be recognized. So I took the New York Times, I took it all apart, and I papered the chair with the New York Times. I just made it impossible to sit on, mm. on the chair. And I thought, this is going to be a really good message about, <laughs> you know, I'm here. I'm making you breakfast. <laughs> I want to be recognized. Unfortunately, he went over to the chair picked out the arts and leisure section and sat down on the couch. <laughs> so that didn't work too well. But you get the point. I mean, there, you can examine your own experience and, and find the ways in which you, you know, a dog or a cat will do that by placing, placing a, a paw on you, like, I'm here. So we, we do this in a lot of different ways. Seeking, seeking fame. Um, even, I'm, I return back and all the leaves, it's brown in California, right? It's brown. Here it's very colorful, the leaves are falling. And a year or so ago when I was raking the leaves, uh, one of my neighbors came over and she said, she said, do leaves bother you? And I, I thought, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, and because I was raking them, I was, and um, 
I said, no, they don't bother me when they're up, up there, <laughs> but they definitely bother me when, I'm, when they're down here. And today I realized, by looking at the leaves, that raking leaves is a form of seeking fame. Because it matters if you have a clean lawn to other people. So it's a, a matter of your reputation. If somebody passes your, your house and your, and your lawn is completely covered with leaves, they, you know, what a, what a sloppy homeowner or what a, right? So we do so many things, even something like that, where we're raking leaves because we want to be well thought of. We don't want to be the one house in the neighborhood who doesn't rake the leaves. So there's just so much of that going on in, in our lives. And now, with social media, anyone can become famous. They call this becoming an influencer. I just learned about this term. I'm assuming you all know it. You become an influencer and you become famous. I've said, it sounds like something from the mafia, <laughs> the influencer. But it's something good. Uh, um, and according to my research on influencers, if you have 500,000 to 1 million people that you've influenced, you're a macro influencer. If you have 10,000 to 50,000 followers, you're a micro influencer. However, if you only have less than 1,000 people you've influenced, you're a nano <laughs> influencer. But all is not lost <laughs> because if you're only a nano influencer, you can enhance your visibility and your sense of importance by identifying with, with a sports team or identifying with a political party or some kind of professional organization or a religion. You can, you can expand, you can inflate your influence by saying, I'm a Zen Buddhist. <laughs> Our practice is the practice, ultimately, of anonymity. There is, and it's, that is a hard place to be. To tolerate being a pinch hitter. <laughs> to tolerate it. Maybe even to celebrate it. There is a phrase in the Rinzai tradition called 
becoming a true person of no rank. A true person of no rank. Sometimes we stay in our practice, we say, you stink of Zen. You stink. It's, it's, it's like having too much sugar. Ugh. I want to be around you, you know, because you smell. You're too pretentious. You're too, too much identified with your, with your role, with you know, you know, people like that. Not you, but people who just are so identified with their role that they ooze that, that. And, and it's, it's, it's objectionable. <clears throat> True person of no rank, naked, vulnerable, back to the innocence of just being seen in your true true self, in your vulnerability, in your complete complete absence of all the post-its. Just without costume, without pretense, uh, just this, just this, peekaboo, I see you, just innocence. There is a, a greeting in the Zulu, Zulu uh, tradition which expresses this, this innocence. When the Bushmen in, in South Africa meet one another, they say, Saubona, which means, I see you. It's not a handshake. And I think a bow, a namaste, and our bow is something like that. I see you. Saubona. I'm here to be seen. Sikona is the response. Saubona. I see you. Sikona, I'm not hiding. I'm here to be seen in my complete vulnerability. This often happens in the dokusan room with a teacher and a student where the teacher is simply sitting, available, and no, no agenda, no preparation, no rehearsal, just knock, knock, come in, sit here, sit here, raise your face, look at the person, I see you. What now? <laughs> you know, what, what is this meeting? What is this about? Uh, and it could be it's a total surprise. Uh, at Chikoji this, this past uh, week or so, those folks who came in for Dokusan, just beautiful, uh, totally unexpected, 
connection. Uh, if, we, if we could move through the world in that way, that each meeting that we have is fresh, is open, is totally available, not to come with pre- presuppositions, expectations, habit energy. This is our practice when we sit on the cushion to release all of those, all of that baggage and maybe to meet everyone with fresh eyes. I see you now. Just just this, peekaboo. I see you. I see you. <laughs> <laughs>